0: Before we get started on today's CSG podcast, I would like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Oise, right in the middle of the dairy block in lower downtown Denver. So, if you're at a Rockies game, or if you decided to hit the Milk Market, or any of the various places you can go in the lower downtown area, hit up uh, Blanchard Family Wines, because it's one of the most unique experiences in Denver. Uh, rarely do you, are you able to get a family-owned vineyard wine uh, consuming slash tasting uh, area in this in the city that really takes care and does, does serve you their own product. Uh, they own vineyards in the Russian River Valley in California, uh, which means Pinot Noir. If you're a big fan of Pinot or really some any sort of uh, blush. Uh, Uh, rosé anything like that it it is they do it really well and it's a great experience Um, and uh, like I said I was there about a month ago and I really enjoyed my time there it was great Uh, they have a Facebook page and an Instagram page if you uh, want to check them out they show a lot of pictures of uh, what they're up to um, how they taste um, and their various events that they have Uh, I would suggest checking that out both on Facebook And on Instagram, Blanchard Family Wise. Uh, Be sure and go and check them out in person. Uh, Once again, in the Dairy Block, right in the middle, between uh, 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in lower downtown Denver. Uh, Tell them Jeff Morton sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest MoreCast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton, and I'm coming to to you today from Grand Junction. The home uh the proud home of the humpback chubs um, and if <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there if you if you don't get the joke you don't get the joke um, it's uh nBA free agency is coming gone uh, the nuggets did what I think I was expecting them to do um, you know they picked up the uh option on uh, Paul Millsap for thirty million dollars, and they also. Uh, extended Jamal Murray, which actually was maybe not necessarily an expectation, uh, mostly due to the amount of money that they spent on uh, Jamal Murray. Uh, He ended up signing a contract for five years and $170 million, which is the max that they could give him. So I think this is the first time the Nuggets have given out a contract over four years since Kenyon Martin in 2005, I believe. And Now it could be Mello did. No, Mello has signed a three-year deal with a with a fourth, uh, with a fourth option. I believe. So this is the first deal longer than four years that the Nuggets have signed since Kenny Martin in 2004. Um, so this is a commitment. This is a large commitment to Jamal Murray. Um, it'll be remain you know remain to be seen how this works. Um, essentially, what happens is you pick up Paul Millsap's option at thirty million. Tr- truth be told, next year, um, that money you're devoting to Paul Millsap this year is going to Jamal Murray. So it is a almost a zero sum kind of thing. The nuggets are over the cap because they uh, signed Millsap, so if anything happens in the remainder of free agency, it'll be for what it can only be the mid level exception, which is around eight million uh, roughly. And it really is a situation that with you, you, you the, the nuggets wanted to keep them and they've gone they've on a on a, uh, a, a quest. To prove that the they are a changed organization, because with the players, um, the Nuggets, the perception of the Nuggets is that they are a cheap organization, and it and it's that applies to a lot of different areas, and I and we've gone over this in past podcasts about it extends far beyond what you pay the players. Um, and the nuggets constantly ducking the tax and using draft picks to get out of the tax, particularly the last couple of years, um, really kind of solidified that perception, and the nuggets are trying to take care of their own players and do all that they 're really it 's undeniable that is part of the calculation with this, but they also want to be known as the people who take care of their own and with all honesty, I'll tell you, Masai Ujiri, who is rightfully earning a lot of praise for uh, going all in for this year. Now it looks like it may be back—not backfiring, but it may that that one-year gambit is going to turn into a one-year gambit if Kawhi Leonard ends up indeed on the Los Angeles Lakers um, or the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, but Masai earned a reputation for the Nuggets as signing players just to trade them. And it was a reputation that really stuck with the Nuggets. I've said this on Twitter, and I've said it in articles. The, Masai Ujiri created, I mean, he was a great GM, but he created a issue that he never had to deal with. Um, of making deals like that. And it's consequences he never had to deal with himself. Tim Connolly is the one who's had to deal with it. And the Nuggets has taken him six years to to really try to change the perception of them, largely due to Maasai. Now, you could argue about Maasai's modus operandi here and whether it was the right way to go, but it is what it is. And that reputation kind of followed the Nuggets and followed the organization as a whole, because Josh Kroenke is still here, Um, and there was a lot of things the Nuggets have to overcome. Signing Jamal Murray, even though it is the max extension, which it remains to be seen whether that was the right decision. I'm going to just put that out there. It remains to be seen if that was the right decision. We won't know until Jamal actually starts playing on his contract, which is next year. He's going to have to really make that step. He's going to have to take that leap. And it's on Jamal to do that. I mean, and, and, I've, and I pointed this out on Twitter. It's on the Nuggets to prove that their decision-making this last, yes, um, this last free agency period is right. It's not on anyone to, any, anybody else but the Nuggets to prove that they made the right decision. Because the perception, of obviously, is that Utah made a bunch of moves, and other teams have (coughs) leapfrogged the Nuggets because of the moves they made in free agency. And the only way the Nuggets can really prove that what they did was right is they're going to have to be better than they were last year without any major additions, (coughs) hoping that improvement, just basic team improvement, will carry the day. It's going to be a difficult task, but the Nuggets are betting that is the case. It is on them to prove this because if the Nuggets do regress next year, it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be, I do believe that the fans are starting to now have expectations of the team. And if they regress next year, there will be, <coughs> there will be issues that they haven't really had to contend with. Since they were consistently a playoff team in the in the 2000s and to see whether the team is actually ready to deal with those because it's coming. Uh, Denver is generally forgiving as far as any other team that's not the Broncos. Um, You're either ignored or you have insane expectations generally, but I mean, let's face it. They're, they're, you're not exactly getting um, the intensity of a thousand suns focus that you get in New York or Los Angeles so the nuggets with these things kind of turning which is what they want by the way the nuggets want the the expectation and the focus there's what's going to be dealt with that is if the nuggets start off rough and especially if they they start rough uh, and uh, expect the takes to start coming because the expectations are set now and we will see if the Nuggets decision making this free agency period is is worth it. It it will work. Um, A lot of this is depending on the development and well, just the debut of Michael Porter Jr. Um, I will say that in my own perception some of these expectations and maybe even a lot of these expectations are Unfair to Michael Porter Jr., a guy who wants these expectations, but uh, someone who has not played more than two games in two years—that uh, is, that is a—that is something that I don't think that I would be placing those kinds of expectations on someone like that, because they may be rusty. And if I was the Nuggets, I would ease them in. I mean, he had major back surgery. It is going to be, it's going to be hard to see how he, Michael Porter jr. Makes a, an immediate impact on this team. I hope I'm wrong, but it's going to be hard to see where he makes an immediate impact until he can get into a better, uh, playing shape. And he's going to hit a wall. And it is just, there's a lot of things that are going to be happening. And, the Nuggets are hoping, based on their move, their lack of moves in free agency, that he can carry the day to a large extent. And that is a bit of a gamble. It is a bit of a uh, we-know-what-we're-doing kind of thing, and now it's up to them to prove it, as I said. And we shall see. On a side note, uh, I, I, I said I was going to devote a podcast to this, but I'm not going to. I'm going to de- devote the last part of this converse- podcast to uh, a discussion of our old friend, uh, Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala was traded by the, uh, the Golden State Warriors to the uh, now-rebuilding Memphis Grizzlies. And recently, Iguodala has been into news because he has a book out where he talks about how he thinks... Mark Jackson has been blackballed from the NBA because he's not exactly pro-gay. And I will leave my personal issues with Andre Iguodala aside. I have issues as far as those stances go. I'm going to remove that and just talk about basketball. Um, Andre Iguodala has had a long time coming to get a... I wouldn't say a comeuppance, but a shot of humility. Um, The way he left the Denver Nuggets, his behavior during the 2013 playoffs, his actually behavior post Danilo Gallinari ACL injury was despicable. It was a guy who we all know that we want, I mean, look, no one begrudges anyone wanting restricted free, unrestricted free agency. It is it's kind of a, especially if you're a productive NBA player, it's kind of your time to feel wanted. And there is no doubt Andre Iguodala wanted that. If you look at his answers about whether he wanted to stay in Denver, he was always very ho-hum and gave the right answer without committing to anything. Behind the scenes, um, Iguodala largely complained about everything. And he seemed to make it clear that he wasn't happy with certain things about Denver. It wasn't happening with uh, with with George Carl. He wasn't happy with with some of the players on the Nuggets. He wasn't happy with uh just you name it. And it became something that was it came to a head in the two thousand thirteen uh NBA playoffs where I don't know why this didn't get more coverage. I mean, especially since the Nuggets were playing the Warriors. How actively, actively, Andre Iguodala was cavorting, was currying favor, was doing everything he could possibly do to make it known to the Golden State Warriors, up to and including sending, quote-unquote sending, it's not... He hasn't been admitted by Andre himself, but it's pretty well clear that went with that his cousin went to Joe Lacob during the playoffs and let it be known that he was interested in joining joining the uh, Golden State Warriors. This happened. This has been confirmed by Joe Lacob himself. Um, the he there was uh, he attended chapel with the uh, the Warriors, and of course there's the famous mole incident where he. All but you know, I mean, we all know who it was who was talking to Mark Jackson about the Nuggets playing rough with Steph Curry. Um, we all know it was because there was only one Nuggets player who was actively currying favor with the Golden State Warriors. It was despicable behavior. Look, if you're going to go to the Golden State Warriors, go to them in the in the uh, off season. But actively recruit, trying to be recruited. By the Golden State Warriors while you're playing them, is not. It, it, as I said it's despicable. And as long as I, I will remain someone who is either covering the Nuggets or following the Nuggets, I doubt I will. I I, I will never. Our I will never look at Andre Iguodala positively because of what he did. He uh, sorry. There's a truck going by here. And okay. Uh, he what he did was beyond the pale, and I don't think I've ever seen an NBA player do this. And he always was kind of treated the city of Denver condescendingly. It was it was just it, it now everyone understands that he was traded to Denver. You know, make no mistake, Andre Iguodala's choice was not to be in Denver. Masai Ujiri, much like he did. With Kawhi Leonard this last year, took a gamble, and both times now one time it ended up as a uh, getting an NBA title, but the first time it was he traded one of the uh, in fact Masai traded one of the draft picks that the Nuggets acquired. In the Carmelo Anthony trade, one of the first round draft picks that I believe would have been another top 10 lottery pick uh, that next year for Andre Aguadala. Um, it, 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 it ended up backfiring so much on the Nuggets that it contributed mightily to the troubles the Nuggets had the next couple of years. It was, it was just, it just didn't work. And a lot of that was, was, I mean, almost 95% of it was Andre Iguodala and what he did and how he basically undermined and went to, uh, I wouldn't say undermined. Andre Iguodala played okay in those playoffs. He averaged 18 points a game, but That was largely skewed by a huge Game 6 that he had, which I think he scored like 36 points in that game. Excuse me, not Game 6, Game 5. But outside of that, he had a pedestrian series. And uh, there was actually one incident I'll never forget. Kenneth Fareed was going, this is at the end of the regular season, Kenneth Fareed's going up for a rebound. And Andre Aguadala... Like if he tried to get at, get it as well, Kenneth Reed, who just all he did, he was like a kind of like a shark, you know. Well, you know all they know is eat and you know <laughs> eat and sleep basically. It was kind of like Kenneth Reed. He just went up and got did what he did, got the rebound. On the way down the court, he was screaming. And this is after Gallinari's injury. He was screaming at Kenneth Freed that he took his rebound, and <laughs> because Andre Iguodala wanted a triple double. Because at the end of the end of the season, Iguodala was blatantly stat padding, and uh, this is part of those things that just, just doesn't get 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 noticed because the Nuggets at that point were on their way to winning 57 games, even though everyone knew they were in deep trouble after Gallinari went down with his ACL injury. Anyway, it's all this. It sounds like I'm just bitching about uh, about uh, about uh, Andre Iguodala, and I am. Um, I've never seen a player do this. And as far as I'm concerned, he and Bernie, Bernie Bickerstaff remain the unforgiven as far as what happened in their behavior with the Nuggets. Um, people have brought up on Twitter Brian Shaw, but Brian Shaw was just, he was, he was let down by various uh, aspects of, of his ability to coach and his coaching staff, which was beyond the worst, except for Melvin Hunt. So, anyway, all right, well, Thank you for permitting me that rant. Um, (laughs) Hope you all enjoyed this CSG, and I'll be talking to you soon. Goodbye.